0: 27 through 32 here this morning. Judges 6, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 32. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse number 27. It says, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, but he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, "'Who who has done this thing?' And when they inquired and asked, they said, "'Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing.'" Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash stood and said unto all that stood against him and said, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death, whilst it is yet morning. If he be a God, then let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jeroboam and said, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. Let's pray over the word. Lord, God, I'm so thankful. Lord, for this service this morning, for your presence, God. And I'm thankful, God, for your word that you have preserved through us down through time, God, that strengthens, that empowers, God, that gives us the ability to have a foundation to stand when all around us is sinking sand. God, I pray here this morning that you would speak to us, God, that you would sanctify us, Lord, and that you would use your word to bring out its accomplished end in in our hearts and in our lives here this morning. It's in your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. My title here this morning is Counting the Cost. Counting the Cost. When we read a story in the Bible where God gives an individual a, a mandate, a directive, something to do, it's really easy for us to think for that person that, you know, I think you should just go ahead and do that because that's what God told you to do. It's it's really easy for us to sit here in, in the comfort of of the AC that we have, and, and there's no danger that may come to us. It's really easy for us to say, come on, Gideon. Come on, let's let's go. Let's do what the Lord has called you to do. After all, you received this very word from God. It's easy for us to say, Oh, yeah, I would have been like Peter. I would have gotten out. I would have walked on the water for sure. But but remember, there were eleven disciples who they stayed in the boat. The decisions that we make in life from the the most the smallest to the largest, they're, they're all placed into this risk-reward algorithm. And all the time, our minds are going through, should I do this, should I not? Should, should I gun it on yellow, or should I hit the brakes? Should I get the greasy burger for lunch, or should I go for that healthy salad? Should, should I go into those high-risk, high-reward stocks, or maybe I should just be conservative and do those low-risk, low-reward stocks? But there's... One factor that I want you to consider here this morning whenever it's our decision what do we do we we usually tend to we usually tend to stop with the yellow we usually tend to go for the salad we usually tend to make to do the more conservative options why because it's it's our bacon that's on the line right it's not somebody else. But but if it's for somebody else, if they come up to you and they ask for your advice, well, hey, I mean, you need to go. You, the, the light, you still got a little bit before it changes to red. Go ahead, gun it. Go ahead and get that burger. Go ahead and just drop all your money. Yeah, sure, something. I'm sure everything will go great for you. You only live once, right? And yet, here it is that, that we would think for Gideon, we would say, Gideon, I mean, come on, man, You you, you just talk to the angel of the Lord. You have just offered a sacrifice to him. You have just seen that sacrifice consumed. Come on, Gideon. God told you to go tear down those altars. Just go and tear them down. But it's not our safety on the line. It's Gideon's safety that's on the line. And so, remember what we are dealing with here in the character and the life of Gideon this is not some bold and courageous man of God this is a man who was hiding in the wine press this was a man who was trying to to, to, to stay away from the Midianites to make sure that his life was preserved remember who Gideon is he's not this bold and courageous man and yet we remember all the while I told you from the very beginning of of Judges 6 that the, the hero of this story is not Gideon the hero this story is God. I've, I've labored over and over to remind you of the fact that, that it's God's great love that is the banner over this story to remind us that God is faithful to unfaithful people. That God's love was extended down. Brother Jonathan, I meant to text you this week, but you did a fantastic job last Sunday evening preaching about repentance and showing we saw that in Judges 6 in the early part how that the children of Israel, they turned back to God. And what did God do? He heard their voice and he went back to them. God is the hero of this story. His love is the theme of this story. The weakness and the frailty of Gideon, they're a testament to this fact. If Gideon would have been some great mighty warrior, then what would he have said? Oh man, Gideon, he's the great hero. He's the great judge. This story is about Gideon. Gideon is the one that wants—that needs to be lifted up. I want to be just like Gideon. And yet, we know that that is not how God framed and purposed this story to be able to build up our own lives after God shows his power to Gideon it would be reasonable as we've say, I'm sure that you've heard the quote that, that Gideon will be able ready to charge hell with a water pistol I'm sure you've heard that before but but Gideon he's still hesitant he's still afraid because you see every calling everything that God mandates and tells us to do in our lives there's a price tag on it there's something that it's going to cost you and so Gideon knew what that cost was going to be but once again we'd say well Gideon just go God, God has told you God sent an angel to tell you what to do but whenever we're in that situation what do we do risk reward right Lord I don't know if I need to go talk to that person in Walmart you know you know how people are nowadays I mean people are just angry if I go and witness to that person you never know what they might say to me you never know what they may do to me and we get in this risk reward thing but yet we can sit down and say come on Gideon go tear down your dad's altars come on it's time to go the Lord told you to do this now it is, it is good to think about things, to think about the ramifications, to think about the cost, because that's what the Lord said in Luke. He said, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. But yet there's so many times where that we think about the cost, but we don't think about the one who's going to pay the cost. And so the very first verse of our text, it reveals to us the fact that Gideon knows exactly what he's about to get into. He's not disillusioned. He, he's not under the impression that maybe they'll, maybe they'll think this is a good thing what I'm doing. He knows exactly is what is going to happen because that's why he goes and he does it at night. And so I spent the last sermon, I tried to show you how important it was to tear down those idols. And I hope that, that those, those thoughts and, and went over in your mind. But now I want to show you that there's a cost to it. I don't want you to go into this fact of saying, you know what, I'm going to kill sin in my life. I'm going to kill idolatry in my life. And then whenever the price tag comes up, you say, whoa, this isn't what I bargained for. There was a cost for Gideon, and there's going to be a cost for us as well. The first thing that we see that that there's the cost is the fact that Gideon would have to give up his will. He was going to have to give up his will. Completing this task, as I said, it was completely against his nature. This is not who Gideon is. He is not some courageous fighter. He was no zealot for the cause. He wasn't, whenever the angel of the Lord found him, he wasn't down in the town square trying to stir up animosity against Midian. He he wasn't like those, those zealots that tried to turn against the Roman Empire. No, he was hiding. He was hiding. He, he's the most unlikely man from the most unassuming tribe in Israel. This is not who he is of what God has called him to do. He's going completely out of his comfort zone and that's exactly where God wants Gideon that's right where God wants him God uses Gideon to be able to accomplish this work why so that glory would be brought to his name because now there's no point in your mind where you would think man Gideon that's who I want to be no you think thank God that he empowers weak vessels to be able to do his work And so we must think of that own challenge in our own life. We have to bend our life in submission to God's will. That's one of the challenges, that's one of the costs that we're going to have to pay to be able to do the will of God. Because let me tell you, if your focus is self and your focus is this sense of individuality, you are never going to accomplish anything in the kingdom of God. And so look at what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater man than John the Baptist. Now, Why was John the Baptist the greatest? Because he completely emptied himself of his own will. Everything he gave and he turned away all of his his will, his ambition, even his sense of self-preservation. He knew getting up and preaching against Herod and and the woman that he was living with, he knew that was going to cost him his life. But what did he do? He didn't hesitate. He didn't equivocate. He didn't try to water down. He just preached and delivered the message that God gave to him. There was no individuality in his message. There was no self-aggrandizement. He didn't say, "Hey, look at who I am. I'm this great man, and and there's some there's somebody else that's coming." But look at who I am. I've been spending time with God in the wilderness. I have I've really I've just dedicated my life to God. Look at me. No, all he did was point to the coming of the Savior. In World War II, there were numerous stories of these Japanese soldiers who would get locked down in combat and there would be these pillboxes and, and the machine gunners would just be raking all over them. And so these soldiers, they, they had several instances of this where they would go and they would wedge themselves in the little slit where the machine gun was so that they could sacrifice themselves so that their brothers would be able to come up and advance in the battle. That mindset is completely absent in our self-driven, egocentric, 21st century version of American Christianity. Why do I say that? Because people, they search out churches not for what they can offer to that church, but instead rather what that church can offer to them. Do they have the right programs? Do they do this? Do they do that? And that is the way that... That lifestyle, that American, that, that that you know, I deserve this. It's all about me. That can creep into our own life, into our own mind, and we don't want to sacrifice. I, I'm not going to get my head chopped off. I don't want my head on a platter. I don't want Herod coming after me. I, I don't want the Midianites. I don't want to upset the villagers in Ophrah when I go and tear down those idols. And so what do we do? We, we, we play it safe. And so... We find that we're not ready to preach about a risen Savior. Instead, we we want people to know how good we are, and we just want to hide out in safety. Gideon and John the Baptist, they would have been a whole lot more comfortable if they would have just kind of stayed in that mold that that the world wanted them to be in. But remember, this commonly used passage, Romans 12 and 2, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The world wants to conform you into their mold. Why do they want to do that? Because they don't want to hear the message that that John the Baptist is going to preach. They don't want to hear the message that Gideon is going to get up and tear down those idols and those altars and tell them that idolatry is wrong. The world doesn't want to hear that. So what do they do? They mold us into something that is comfortable for them. But in order for you to prove the will of God, as that verse says, what must you do? You cannot conform to the whims of worldliness and self-centeredness. And you've got to understand, as Gideon did, look, if I'm going to do this work that God has called me to do, I'm going to have to turn aside my thoughts, my feelings of what I think, of what I want to be. of I just want to be safe, and I'm going to have to follow after what God has called me to do. So we must be willing to shake the fear, to do God's work, and to shake off the bonds of self. In order for you to be able to tear down those idols in your life, you're going to have to submit your will to God. Whenever God calls you to something, when the man of God calls you to something, whenever you feel impressed of God to to do something, do that thing, it's going to be uncomfortable. It may even be painful, but I want you to rest in this promise here this morning. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. This this passage of Scripture is so powerful. Now the great God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, listen to this, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you which is that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Because what do we like to do? We like to say, God, I can't do that. You know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. But this passage of Scripture here says that God is going to do that work in your life. The the old saying that that God equips those who who he calls, that passage gives us that, that element of truth there. God is going to equip you. If God calls you to do something, God will give you the necessary tools that you need to be able to shake off yourself and to be able to go forward and do his work. God will complete his will in you. Gideon didn't defeat the Midianites but 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 we know that unless he had come out of that wine press God would have found another man but but his obedience his willingness to give aside his will his ambitions what he wanted to do to, go, to do God's purpose and God was able to work in that tearing down idols is going to cost you your will but there's another element in this passage that we see and that's the fact that it's going to cost Gideon some work there was going to be some blood, sweat, and tears that was going to come as a result of the work that God called Gideon to do. There, there was going to be that night, there was going to be a sleepless night where the Gideon had to follow that call. Another hallmark token of, of American Christianity is this detestable notion of easy believism. Now, whenever I type this into my, I was typing up my notes, my word processor said that believism is not a word. So let me explain to you what I mean by that. So many people today, they want to know, what, what is the bare minimum for me to get into heaven? What, what is just enough that I can just get into heaven and be, what, what can I do that's just enough for God? They, they want to know, they just, I, I don't, I don't Meemaw used to say in, in a Sunday school, she said that whenever I get to heaven, I want to make sure that I'm a dump truck over and not a wheelbarrow too short. And that's one of, of Meemaw's sayings from her Sunday school class. I don't want to know what is the bare minimum. I want to know what can I do to excel and to do a great work in the kingdom of God. I don't want to be a, a carnal Christian. I don't want this convenient Christianity to say, well, um, you know, God, yes, you're my Lord. Yes, you're my Savior. Yes, I'm going to live for you and serve you. But, but don't do anything that's going to be inconvenient for me because I've got something scheduled next Thursday at, what time is it, Nate? Seven o'clock? Lord, don't do anything. We've got those we've got sports Thursday. We want to go do this or do that. Lord, I can do whatever you want me to do, but just hold off for Thursday at seven PM, okay? And I'm picking at Nate, but this it's kind of the way that we live, right? God, I have plans. Don't mess up my plans. And so these were Remember, they weren't just a few small idols, because what did Gideon do? He had to get ten men, he had to get two bulls, and he had to come in and work and labor to tear those things down. It wasn't some little, small little statue. These were big statues. This was a lot of work. This was blood, sweat, and tears, as we say. This is what was called of Gideon. But what are we? We are sophisticated creatures of comfort. Our AC went out a couple weeks ago, and it was It was rough. I'm not used to being in the house and it's 85 degrees. I mean, I, I work in surgery. It's like, it's, you know, 60, 65 degrees in there. You know, I need, I need to be nice and cool so that I can be comfortable. We're creatures of comfort. And sometimes we bring that mentality into our walk and our relationship with God. God, don't mess with my Thursday. Don't mess with this day. I've, I, God, I've got this little thing I want to hold on to. Don't, don't draw me away from that. The Christian walk is not one of comfort and ease. God didn't call you and say, hey, I want you to be as comfortable as you can down here, and then when you get to heaven, then it's going to be even more comfortable. No, he said in Luke 14 and 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Bearing a cross is going to cost you. It's going to be heavy. There's going to be days where that you don't feel like that you can take one more step with that cross on your shoulder. But trust me, it's going to be so worth it. That is exactly where God wants us. And that flies in the face of everything that American Christianity tries to tell you. That God wants, that He loves you and that He wants you to have a, a wonderful, happy life. A chicken in every pot, as we say around here. That He wants everything to just be perfect and so-so. But let me tell you this. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God has filled feeble clays of jar, feeble <laughs> jars of clay, so that the ESV says that the surpassing power may belong to God. Not so that people would look at that vessel and say, man, that is a really nice vessel. Man, you really look nice here on this Sunday morning. What, how did you get that vessel looking so good? No, the Bible says that he used these weak, frail clay pots in order that whenever people look at us, they say, there's nothing special about them. There's nothing special about Gideon. There's nothing special about John the Baptist, but what they have inside of them, I've got to have that. I've got to have the power of God in my life. And so Gideon labored. Gideon's not the hero. You're not the hero. I'm not the hero. God is the hero. So am I telling everybody here tonight to, to stay up late and we'll all go down. There's a, If you go down Highway 52 before you get into uh, Malvern, I believe it is. There's this, I don't know what they're building down there, but it's this like Buddhist temple or something. They've got a big old Buddha statue built up. And I've had a few thoughts sometimes where I'm like, you know what, I just want to go and just tear that thing down. That's not what I'm calling for here today. What I'm calling for is for you to labor in the kingdom of God. I'm calling you to war against those strongholds of idolatry, not the one that's on Highway 52, the one that's in your mind. Those strongholds of idolatry that we get into our mind. How do we rid ourselves of those things? By filling our minds with Scripture. The sword of the Spirit. It was directly through the power of God's word that that Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness. Remember, three times Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And what did Satan do? He fled. And so the same would be true for us. And and I would say, look, you need to get in the word. You need to memorize the word. You need to have that word readily available at all times. Why? So that God would be able to use that word so that you could combat the enemy. Come on, Brother Justin, that's hard work. I mean, the last time I memorized something, I don't know, did they make everybody memorize poems back when they were in high school? And, and, and If by Rudyard Kipling and, and, and uh, Footprints in the Sand by Henry Wadsworth. That's been a long time since I've had to learn something like that. I know it's hard work. It was hard work for Gideon to go and to tear down their idols, but whenever he got up, whenever he said, you know what, tonight we're not going to sleep. Tonight we're getting two bulls and ten men, and we're going and we're tearing down those idols. It's going to be hard work, but guess what? His faith was finally put to action, and God was able to do a great work in his life. So that's what I'm saying to you here this morning, is that you've got to get in the Word. You've got to know the Word. It's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be hard. But we believe that God is able to use his word. Now, I've got a little deal with Colton. You're going have to have to um, pardon. He's, he's really dressed up for Sunday morning. We, they're having the, a little July 4th party that's going on for the Sunday school students. So disregard the look. But I've got, I've got Colton. Come on up, buddy. And I was talking to Colton a few Sunday nights ago, and he was talking about how that he's memorizing Scripture at home. And so we started talking about our passage. We, I love this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53. He said, I can quote quote a lot of Isaiah 53. I said, well, can you quote it in front of everybody at church on a Sunday? He said, I can do it. I can do it. So I've got a little bribe going here. But listen, this is hard work. He had to sit down. He had to memorize this. But here we go.
1: Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our face was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53,
0: 1-6. That's hard work, but trust me, it's worth it. It's worth it, because you know what? There's going to be people that are going to come to him, and they're going to say, look, the Lord didn't do very much for you, and he's going to say, oh, no, who hath believed our report? Who hath believed our report? My God, he went to the cross. He went to a grave. He was risen, and he, he has, had paid the atonement for my sins. Brother JP, Brother JP, I'm not going to make him come up here, but Brother JP working on 1 John, and he's memorized large portions of 1 John. What does that do? It gives you faith, and it gives you strength whenever the enemy is coming against you to be able to stand against those attacks. It's hard work. But it's a work with eternal consequences. Scholars say that the Magi traveled 400 miles to see the birth of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he traveled all over his known world. We, we, we remember Jesus in the garden. He has sweat like drops of blood that fell from his brow. All of these scriptural examples of great work that was put forth by men and women, and we want a convenient Christianity. God forbid. God forbid. All throughout scripture we're called to work, to to labor in the fields, to pick up your cross, to to be about the Father's business, to show ourselves approved unto God, to bring our body under subjection, and the list goes on and on and on. All of these directives are placed upon the Christian to show us what, that not we just let go and let God. No, you pursue after these things, you work after these things, and God is able to use the work that you have done to accomplish, accomplish his will and his purpose it's going to cost you some work we also find though that tearing down idols it costed Gideon something else and that was the fact that it costed him his name of all the fears that Gideon had probably the greatest was the fact that he was just content with being in that wine press and being a no-name guy He didn't want everybody to know who he was. He he was a follower of the one true God, but it doesn't really seem as if he broadcasted that to everyone. He just kind of hid in his little spot of anonymity because he was fearful of what might happen to him if everybody knew what he stood for. The fact that Gideon waits for the cover of darkness just further illustrates this point. He, he knew that his actions were going to infuriate the villagers in Ophrah, and they knew he knew that they would be out for his blood. So if he obeyed God, it was going to cost him his name and his reputation that he had so carefully crafted, and it just might cost him his life. In verse 30 of our text, we see it's well substantiated. They, they go straight to Gideon's father. They said, we want your, heads, your son's head on a platter. We, we're done with Gideon. Gideon tore down those altars. We want to kill him right now. And so we are told, we know that there is now a sense of true reform that begins to happen in Israel. Where do we see that? Because look at the reaction of Gideon's father, Joash. If anyone should be upset, it's Joash, right? Those are his idols. He, is, he paid for the stone. He paid for all the stuff. He, he's the one that put that together. That is his idol grove, and his son went and tore that down. If anybody should be angry, it's Gideon's father. But in verse 31, we read, it said, And Joash said unto all the people that stood before him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it's still mourning. And if Baal's God, let him plead for himself, because Gideon has cast down his altar. Here is a man who has been instrumental in Baal worship within that region, and now what is he saying? He's saying, hey, if Baal's as great as we've been saying that he is, let Baal defend himself. The chief administrator of, of Baal worship in this region has finally seen the impotence of their false god. So, so listen to this point. Gideon's actions, it, it didn't just lead to the freedom of a nation. It led to the salvation of his own father. So let me encourage you here this morning because we're talking about the cost. We're talking about going and doing these things. But, but listen, look at the consequences. Look at what happens We see Gideon's family coming back to the Lord as a result of what he did. So whenever you're having those days, whenever you've got that cross and you're lugging it around and, Lord, this is heavy, God, I'm trying to memorize Isaiah 53 and this is hard work and I can't do this, remember this, it is worth it. It is worth it. It must have been so amazing for Gideon to see his father stand up among the mob and then say, you know what? I'm not going to call for Gideon's head. I'm going to say, you know what, if, if Gideon's God, he's been faithful to the one true God, then we're going to see what is going to happen. For so long his father had been in this spiritual blindness and now we see that he's coming back to the light of God's true glory. But listen, Gideon hadn't been teaching him home Bible studies. Gideon hadn't been witnessing to him. Gideon hadn't been going on and on and on about the one true God, Jehovah. Gideon is hiding in the winepress and yet we see that all that Gideon did was he obeyed God. His father saw that and his father began to follow in the way of the one true God. This was Joash's Mount Carmel moment. Remember the children of Israel, whenever they finally saw the power of God, where do they say, you know what, I don't want to be on the losing side. We already saw what happened to that over at that altar. I want to be on the one that's burning with fire right now. So what does Joash say? He says, look, we've been in slaves to idolatry for so long, and what has it gotten us? We've been enslaved to Midian. What has Baal done for us? We have served him. We've been loyal to him. What has become of us? And so now I'm going to go and serve the one true God. So whenever you begin to think that that cost is too much, I want you to think about the impact that it's going to, not just for you, but it's going to have on your family. If you continue to pay that cost, if you continue to pay the price, if you continue to be faithful to God, God is able to save and work in your family just on account of your faithfulness to him. We don't have time this morning, but the ironic side of this is the fact that it should be Gideon who's calling for their lives. Deuteronomy 12, 2 through 5, it gives us this explicit command that if anyone turns to idols, they should be cut off and they should be stoned. Gideon shouldn't be on the chopping block. It should be the the, the mob that is coming after him. And so we begin to move on and we see this fact that his name was changed. His name was changed to Jeroboam. And what they were wanting to do with that is they were wanting to put a curse on Gideon. Because what does that word mean? It means let Baal contend for himself. Well, they all thought that Baal was powerful. They all thought that Baal was going to just wipe Gideon off the map. And yet, we see through time, Genesis 50-20, we quote it all the time, what people have meant for evil, God brings for good. Because what they meant as a curse, it ends up becoming a constant reminder through the years that Baal ain't going to do Nothing to Gideon. Why? Because God's hand is on Gideon's life. Baal, yeah, let Baal contend for himself. Let Baal come against the work of God. Baal can do nothing in the sight of our God. It was so interesting to me in 1 Samuel, Samuel's writing his his book in the Bible and and he goes and he talks about Gideon and you would think that he would call him Gideon, but no, he says, and the Lord sent Jeroboam. Why did he say that? He said, hey, remember that time that the people tried to put a curse on Gideon? Remember the time that they thought that Baal was gonna just wipe out Gideon? Remember that? Well, now look at where Gideon is and look at where they are. And so we see that there's been times throughout history where our apostolic pioneers and even some a little bit today, not certainly as much as it was in the past, but they were called names, holy rollers, this, that and the other. They were Let them call us whatever they want to call us because God has given us a name. And in Revelation 2 and 17 it says to him that overcometh will I give to of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and in the stone there's a new name written which no man knoweth saying he that receives it let the world call you what they want god has given you a name and he is going to work and to minister and move in your life when the new birth when when you go down in baptism when you go down in his name what do you do you take on that name we read it in um in romans and we talked about how that you become a joint heir you've taken on the family name of jesus christ of the greatest kingdom that has ever been It doesn't matter what the world calls you. God has given us a new name. We're part of a new family. I hasten to a close here. I've given you these three items that you're going to have to give up in order to destroy the idols in your life. But now I want to tell you of something that if you don't pay the price, that you're going to forfeit this blessing in your life. Turn in your Bibles quickly to Psalms 66 and verse 18. Psalm chapter 66 and verse 18. Brother Harrison quoted off this scripture a few weeks ago. Then Brother Jonathan brought off this scripture last Sunday night, and I thought, well I can't I mean, this is, this is the Lord here.'ve we're, we're going to be three for three. We're going to keep on with Psalm 66 and 18. "If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now what in the world? Does that have to do with Gideon in an idol grove? Brother Matt, you ready? Or Sister Kaylee, you ready? All right. I've been telling y'all to download the Blue Letter Bible app. I don't know how many of y'all have. I need to like check phones after church, but you need to download the Blue Letter Bible app because whenever Dad brought out this verse, I thought, you know what? If I regard iniquity in my heart, that's pretty bad. The Lord is not going to hear me. I need to know exactly what iniquity is. So y'all can read the first picture. So I pulled up Psalm 66 and 18. And I clicked on the verse, and then this screen popped up. And then that very first thing under study, interlinear concordance, I clicked on that, and then this popped up. Next one. And so I saw iniquity. You see it there kind of in the middle, H205. I clicked on that little link up under it, and I wanted to, what is the original Hebrew? What is going on? What does that word iniquity, what does God mean by that? All right, next one. Okay? So Avon, the Hebrew word. But look down there at C or at uh, B, there in the outline of biblical usage iniquity, idolatry. If I willfully engage in idolatrous living, God will not hear me. If I'm not willing to pay the price to destroy the idols in my life, God will not hear me. That shook me to my core whenever I read that. That's a scary thought. If we regard idols in our life, then God will not hear us. Idolatry effectively eliminates communication with God in our lives. So, yes, yes. Yes, the cost is great to destroy those idols. You're going to have to give up your will. You're going to have to labor for the Lord. You may even lose your earthly reputation, but nothing is worth not being able to hear and discern the voice of God. There is nothing worth losing God's voice. Now, remember, I told you that God's love, the theme of Judges, the theme of of Gideon that's going on here, whenever the people of Israel, they were engaged in idolatry, they could not hear God's voice. God did not hear them. But what happens whenever you call out in repentance, as Brother Jonathan said last Sunday night? God hears a cry of true repentance. And what did God do? God turned back to them. The musicians can come. The last time we were here with Gideon, we talked about this subtle nature of idolatry and how it just begins to just creep into our lives and and there's somewhat of a we're we're kind of unaware of how it's going on because we think of idolatry like the old Buddhist temple on Highway 52. We don't think about it being our phones, we don't think about it being pursuits of life, we don't think about it being hobbies or relationships or grudges or attitudes. We don't think about idolatry in those terms, but remember, idolatry is anything that would take away your affection from God. Amen. I'm going to use this quote until it just becomes ingrained into your minds and you think it all the time. The old Puritan John Owen, kill sin or sin will kill you. You won't be able to hear the voice of God. Don't let Satan, you can stand here this morning, don't let Satan deceive you into thinking that cost is too high. Yes, the cost is great, but trust me, the cost of not living for God, the cost of not destroying those idols is too great a price that you do not want to pay. So today, this morning, pick up your cross, destroy those idols, and follow God with everything that's inside of you. And uh, open these altars and pray here this morning. Lord. God, you, I'm astounded every time, Lord, that I go into Your Word, Lord, and begin to to let these spiritual principles just begin to develop, Lord, before my eyes. God, it's not it's not a trick, Lord; it's not a sleight of hand. God, it's just Your Word, Lord. I pray that You would give us the strength here this morning, God. Gideon was not a, a strong, bold man. But, God, you empowered him. Lord, you promised us in your word, Lord, that if we would go and do your work, God, that you, Lord, would perfect us, that you would work inside of us, Lord, and that you would give us the strength to accomplish your work. God, so I pray here this morning that those who may think, you know what? I've, I've It's convenient for me. I don't want to go out too far. I don't want to go out on a limb. God, let there be faith in their lives, God, to establish the fact, God, that there is no limb too far, God, to climb out on, that you can't work and minister that your hand will keep us. Lord, that if you've called us to a work, that you're going to be able to equip us to be able to accomplish that work. Minister here this morning. Use your word, God, to accomplish its purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.